0: Welcome to Underlord's Radio Hour. Hello. And welcome back to Underlord's Radio Hour. A socially distant podcast. My name is Josh. My co-host is Brian. How are you, Brian? Hello. Yeah. I'm rockin' today. You're rockin' today. Rockin' like docking. Oh, that's another conversation. Anyway, um, we are back to Underlord's Radio Hour and our conclusion of Chapter 5, The Erebus Cabal. So, um, let's go ahead. You know, we saw last time a build, the build of, as we shall call it, terror, as they... Yep. As the band, as the Underlords of the Overworld ascend toward playing at the Erebus Cabal, clearly something is wrong. There's something off about this situation, and yet they proceed. Dale Babbitt shows up and warns Brent, but he ignores the warning and follows his bandmates out to play at the Erebus Cabal. So that's where we left yep. off. Uh, shall we? Yep. Got anything else to say, or should we just jump into the reading? No. Let's just tear right into it. All right. Now, again, I'll do the reading this time. So uh, with no further ado, here we go. Stage Door. The words were boldly printed in black spray paint upon the colossal entryway. From the stairway, Crowell had led them through a dim and cramped room cluttered with cases used for musical equipment and coiled wires piled halfway up the brick walls toward the ceiling. As the underlords of the overworld stood there waiting, the noise of the crowd bled through the steel stage door. But there was something savagely primitive beneath the typical clamor of voices and clinking bottles. It was a growl, low, steady, and sharp the kind of sound one associated with tearing meat from bone. They glanced nervously at each other, but said nothing. Crowell was indifferent. You'll have five minutes to plug in and tune your instruments. We've already performed the requisite sound checks and set the levels. The drums, Justin said. What's the setup? How big is the kit? Well, I suppose you'll just have to find out, he replied, while stepping forward to pull the door now it's showtime and best of luck everything stopped as the four bandmates stepped out on the stage The sound of the crowd faded to a few murmurs and it felt as if every eye in the entire universe had taken notice the awful growl they'd been hearing hadn't entirely disappeared but faded so low it was almost gone Worst of all, they could see almost nothing through the hot and blinding lights that fell upon them. A bright, hazy barrier formed between the stage and audience. Working feverishly to tune and adjust their instruments, the most that any of them could make out was a mob of gray and shadowy figures. Once satisfied, the three guitar players huddled in front of the drums when Justin beckoned them. Let's keep it simple. Follow the normal set. Nothing funny. Then, without any hesitation, he tapped a four-count with his drumsticks. Upon striking their first chord, any nerves afflicting the band members disintegrated like mist in sunlight. Cellar Dweller was a newer song that burned at a high-speed tempo for its entirety, the perfect opening number. Justin growled the lyrics as if they were a personal manifesto. Cellar Dweller! The beast in my basement, down the stairs and living in vile sin, next door to hell and paying no rent, sharp teeth glistened behind his vile grin. The song came to an end after a perfectly executed crescendo of guitar chords and cymbal crashes, and the bandmates were confident they had captured the audience's attention. But the early signs of trouble were unmistakable. Instead of the cheers and applause they'd become accustomed to, the Erebus Cabal remained a wall of silence save for a few clinking glasses and an errant coughing fit. After such a high-octane opener, the effect was demoralizing, causing Justin to stumble through his opening stage banter. Instead of his normal commanding tone from behind the drum set, his voice wavered a little. There were actually a few chuckles when he assured the crowd that they were about to have their minds blown by righteous metal. Recovering their confidence, the band launched into Downtown Evil, a heavy and grinding song about the horrors of Hell's inner city. Charging from one side of the stage to the other and leaping about, the stage moves that Brent, Brian, and Josh had practiced enhanced the music's raw energy. But again the performance was met with almost no response whatsoever. They hate us, Josh moaned softly. Brian was defiant. Who cares? Let's pour it on. They continued playing more aggressively than ever before. Metal Monster Omega and Demon Patrol were executed with near-perfect playing. Aside from some sparse clapping and an occasional whistle, there was only silence. No, not silence. The growl they heard before Crowell opened the stage door returned, but much closer this time. The low, guttural rumbling hung like an unseen shadow on the other side of the wall of light, which separated them from the audience and was so strong it caused tremors in their hands and feet. Formless but undeniable, it was as if the bandmates had fallen under the scrutiny of some unearthly presence. But aside from fleeing the stage like cowards, There was no choice but to continue. As a closing number, Hell Comes in Small Packages was a strange choice. The song began with some light, jazzy drum and bass interplay. Justin practically crooned the lyrics, an account of receiving a package with no return address. Inside the mysterious box were discovered the sum of all humanity's worst fears, including Venice Spiders, Ticking Time Bombs, Vengeful Demons, and Nuclear Holocaust. Existential and unconventional, the song was a stylistic departure for the Underlords of the Overworld. Until the guitars came in, that is. Once Brent and Brian joined the music, Hell Comes in Small Packages exploded into a pulsing wall of distorted guitar chords and pounding drums heavier than anything they'd played so far. Brian accented the song's final build with a screaming guitar solo until they struck the final ringing chord. Silence. But only for a moment. What happened next began with an enormous gasp. The entire room had gone dead silent. Even the growl had faded. Brent, Brian, Josh, and Justin simply stood there beneath the blazing lights, unable to see and not quite sure what to do next. Josh took a few hurried steps toward the stage door, anxious to bring the performance to an official end, but paused when he first heard it. They all heard it. A low and steady exhalation. Practically a whisper at first, the breath slowly built from a hiss into a wail. Cheers, the underlords of the overworld finally realized. The audience was cheering. The same audience that through their entire set seemed resolute in its indifference. But now there was an ovation, the likes of which they'd never before experienced. And there was something positively fierce in the response. As it grew in pitch, the noise of the crowd became a unified howl with a jagged undertone reminiscent of gnashing teeth. In any other context, this would have surely struck terror, but there was no mistaking the adulation being heaped upon them. The shadowy mass across the barrier of light had become a seething ocean As they waved their arms and cried for more. Emboldened by this reaction, Justin hopped back up onto the drum riser and snatched his microphone from its stand. Thank you, he called out while pumping one fist in the air. He started to say something else but stopped abruptly. Instead, he just stared outward, transcended by the sight before him. The metamorphosis took place before their very eyes as the crowd transformed into something altogether different. The arms raised upward began to stretch higher than humanly possible. Still obscured by the brightness of the stage lights, the sea of distorted appendages fluttered like tentacles. Even more disturbing were the countless pinpoints of piercing red light that suddenly seemed to appear like a multitude of glowing eyes. The fuck? Brent mumbled as he took a long step backward A contact high, Brian said, or adrenaline. It's got to be. They must be smoking some pretty potent grass out there, and it's affecting us. Whatever the hell it is, let's get out of here, Josh said. Justin had stepped down from the drum riser. Relax, he said breathlessly. All that matters is that they love us. We've got it made. No sooner had Justin spoken than the growl returned, louder and more ferocious than before, almost drowning out the hysterical cheers. Rising out of the crowd, a mammoth figure ascended on reptilian wings to the rafters where it began to trace a circular course above them. While only a silhouette against the light, the bandmates could easily discern a partially humanoid aspect of the creature despite its sheer monstrosity. This isn't happening, Josh said, falling to one knee. Brian yanked him up, dragging him toward the stage door where Crowell stood wearing a crooked smile. Well, it appears you've won them over, he said while ushering the band off stage. I must admit, I had my doubts. The underlords of the overworld collapsed in a heap once he swung the heavy door shut, stifling the awful noise of the crowd. Brian was the first to pull himself up. What was that? What happened out there? The sound of Justin's low giggles was disturbing, and the three bandmates actually pulled away from the drummer as he spoke breathlessly. We've done it! Did you see how they were freaking out for us? So what now? What do we do next? Brent asked. Crowell leaned over them, and for the briefest of moments his eyes appeared to glow a pale red. Do? he replied with a bemused tone. Now you go home. The night is young, and we've still got half a dozen bands who still need to perform at the Erebus Cabal.
1: nice job thanks
0: thanks i love this chapter it's a fun chapter you know we were talking about horror and our love of horror in in the last episode and 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 this definitely reflects that love of horror that we have and you know yeah there's been some allusions to it in the story but this is where it becomes graphic and real and visceral, if you will. So what are your thoughts, Brian? How do you, you want to approach well, this and talk about
1: it? Just to kind of link back to the previous episode, you know, in, in my mind, I don't know if this is the way you kind of thought of it, but in my mind, Crowell was almost kind of a, a, a lurch figure. A little bit. Like from the Adams family. A little bit. In a, a little bit. Yeah. In, 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 not, not necessarily visually. I kind of imagine him skinnier and, and you know, he doesn't have like, you know, a big, large head or anything, but... But just kind of this, I don't know, creepy guide.
0: The gatekeeper to harm. And leading horror.
1: the band into something, they they start to sense that something's not right. Like you mentioned before, Babbitt comes in, tries to warn Brent, but he's like, you know, get away. i got to go forward with this. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Crowell had said to the guys before, before they go up and play, uh, that, that they don't mix with the audience. Because the, the band originally wanted to go watch some of the other acts, and he's like, no, 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 you, you can't do that.
0: Yes, musicians don't mix with the clientele at the Erebus Cabal, and it's an interesting
1: so moment of force. Can you just kind of address how that connects with the experience of what, what you just read? Because clearly what they, the, the performance that they just gave was not to an ordinary audience.
0: Right. And, you know, they don't even know that. So I I love that this part of the story begins with stage door, because that's like the boundary. That's the barrier or threshold that they cross. And when they go out on that stage, they enter a different world. They don't know it at first, because, again, the audience is just this kind of gray, shapeless mass. And they're kind of they're playing and, and they're getting no response from the audience, which you and I can relate to pretty well. From our own history. Um, but true. Uh, Yeah. Um, sad but true. Anyway. But then all of a sudden at the end. Of their performance. They just meet with this. Very very positive reception. And so there'd be. You know there's cheers and cries. And screams from, from this audience. But they start to see a metamorphosis take place. And the audience turns out to be inhuman tentacles you know there's a, a reptilian creature that flies up into the rafters there's glowing eyes and even when they come off stage they see the Crowell's eyes are glowing so now there's you know and, and it's funny because brian kind of tries to the brian character kind of tries to explain it away as oh it's a contact high you know we're not in our right minds but clearly they're seeing That they've entered this new, there, there can be almost no denying, they've entered this new world of monstrous beings or demons, and it's macabre. And that's, you know, jumping back to that moment that you talked about, you know, that's why Crowell was saying that foreshadowing moment of, you know, musicians don't mix with the clientele. And it seemed innocuous at the moment. But when you start to see it in context, you know, it's a question of, of course they don't, because those are not humans that you're entertaining. They're monsters, they're demons, and what's going to happen if they go up there? So it's a fun moment in the story, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I suppose somebody could read this part of the story as, um, well, by getting into this um by, by, by getting into this kind of music and playing in, 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 in <laughs> bands and doing this stuff, they're kind of now, they've crossed a the threshold into um, a, a, a world of, you know, it's it's, 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 that it's all symbolizing the danger of rock and roll. But um, even if a reader took it that way, I, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you just wrote it more of this is, this is just what's entertaining. It's, it's a good entertaining way to do this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fantasy story. It's a fantasy horror story. And, and you know, I, I think that good stories like that, you know, have these moments. And I don't think that we're trying to make too many political statements with this. We're just having fun. and
1: No, I think that's kind of the cool thing about it, though, like, because if you wanted to read this as a morality tale, sure. you could. But... It doesn't need to be read that way at all.
0: Great horror stories, great sci-fi stories and fantasy stories are morality tales. They are, they have that element to them. And I think that I like to think that the story we created is no different than that. But as I mentioned in the last segment or episode, I, I grew up as a big fan of these kind of pulp fiction novels and pulp stories, these horror stories and you know you can look at the symbolic elements of these stories but god they're just fun stories i mean it's fun to be scared Mm -hmm. it's fun to read scary stuff and sci-fi and all of that stuff and we just have a basic love for it so take from it what you will you know if you take any of the symbolism and the meaning and the message behind it as, as something that's great but i think ultimately we want people to just be entertained i think it's entertaining to create these stories so
1: Oh, yeah. And it, even though this story is now a few years old, it's really fun uh, to just revisit it as we're doing through these podcasts.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't like actually read this in years. So going back and going through it, it's like, wow, yeah, I still like this. So it's always a good sign. Yeah.
1: So where, where does it go from here?
0: Gosh. Well, I mean, you know, the band has just experienced a revelation that there is something else going on. It's almost undeniable at this point. And so, of course, the aftermath is what's next. How do you come to terms when the world changes? How do you come to terms with that? So in the next chapter, that's where, you know, we're going to see the band going is, you know, do you, do you run away from it? Do you embrace it? Do you continue Do you, do you somehow deny it? You know, those are the reactions to these kind of fantastic events that are taking place. And Right. Know. Right. So, um, what else? So, yeah. I, Anything else we should um, uh, unpack with this? Or, 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 or do we got most of it in?
1: No, I think so. I think now that we know that they know uh-huh. that they've kind of gotten themselves in a the pickle, let's see what they do with it.
0: Correct. So chapter 6 will be next and we will we will delve into that on the next episode of Underlords Radio Hour.